Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, um, let's look into the future again. Why, why don't we? Okay. Wait. Closing my eyes. All right. Engaging third eye. All right. If you get to the, um, the firestorms and the, uh, the pyramids of bone, mm-hmm. you've gone too far. Ugh. Okay. So back up a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, well, what are you, more to the point, what are you seeing uh, in terms of healthcare? in the next um, century or two. Hmm. Where are we going? I am seeing the sort of healthcare where I can just basically um, like just take my finger and swipe it Mm -hmm. on some sort of metal thing. And it will tell me everything about me I ever wanted to know and uh, how much calcium I have imbibed. I don't know. Potassium, whatever. Yeah. What do you see? That's not very exciting. Uh, Let let me see. All right. Um, Oh, I'm seeing a day where instead of taking um, like a multivitamin vitamin every day, mm-hmm. I take one smart multivitamin uh, that that stays in my system and administers uh, for like the, a year. For, yeah, for administers for like a year. So it's like a tiny doctor that lives inside me and uh, and administers <laughs> medication as needed. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. And and actually, that doesn't that's not too far off. Right, right. We are. Uh, I mean, the technology is coming together now. The uh, and it, it basically comes down to and to something that's kind of a can be kind of a scary word uh, for um, for people who aren't are not already like knee deep in the field. Dun and, dun dun. And that is uh, is nanotechnology. Yeah. And don't nanomaterials. run. Materials. Don't and, scream. And ultimately, a concept we're talking about um, called nanomanufacturing. Yeah. Now. For me, anyway, I, I just finished writing an article called 10 Ways Nanomanufacturing Will Alter Industry. So, and I hadn't, I had not really researched or written much about nanotechnology. So it was kind of a, a deep dive for me where I had to sort of, like a lot of these topics, I kind of have to start from scratch and be like, all right, what the heck is this? And mm-hmm. then, uh, and what does it mean? And then how, like, what does it really mean? Not just what are the words on the page, um, in, in this write up or, or this one, but, um, I think nanotechnology can be a little confusing because we tend to get this fantastic voyage idea in our mind, mm-hmm. by which I mean the um, the Asimov uh, novel in the movie and not the, the Coolio video, but <laughs> the idea of, you know, like a little miniature ship, like a little miniature submarine that's mm-hmm. been shrunk down and is doing things inside the body or building things um, at, at this minuscule scale. Like the nanoscale, just to... to to yeah, let's, let everyone let's know exactly how small we're talking about what, here. What, we're, what is technology or nanotechnology? All right. Like uh, the, at the nano scale of things um, where we have like a, we have like a single walled carbon nanotube um, is scarcely one nanometer thick. All right. Uh, so in relatable terms, you'd have to line up 100,000 of those mm-hmm. side by side in order to equal the 100 micrometer diameter of a single strand of hair. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's that's how tiny it is. But it's still it's by by comparing it to the hair, it it definitely puts it within uh, like the grasp of, of human understanding. Right. But it's still very very tiny. Um. So nano nanomaterials nano nano uh, technology it it involves dealing with matter at that scale. Which and you wouldn't think this is. Uh, it turns out that when you are. Dealing with such small particles, it's a lot easier to manipulate them. Right, you at can, that you scale. can, you can, you have a lot more control over the, um, uh, over the various characteristics of materials, mm-hmm. of, of, uh, well, basically materials, uh, and then 
uh, but if you're alter you're altering the materials in things such as medications uh, at times or something as gigantic as uh, like a meta material that you plan to build a space elevator out of it's right. the, the analogy that I ended up using in the article was uh, was was like building blocks it seems like you start off with kind of big building blocks as a kid mm-hmm. and then as you get a little older you start dealing with smaller blocks and the models that you can build like say you wanted to build an airplane out of alphabet blocks. Mm-hmm. You're going to build something that vaguely resembles a, an airplane. Right. You know, assuming you, assuming you built it at a reasonable scale, like it had to fit on a table. You can only build so detailed an airplane. And you might have to use a little, uh, um, creativity, uh, to, to see that it is supposed to be an airplane. Mm-hmm. Legos are much smaller. There's a lot more detail. There's a lot more room to, to create detail in the model. Mm-hmm. And you could build a pretty amazing airplane model. Uh, that's the size of a table if you built it out of Legos. Right. The smaller the building blocks, the uh, the, the greater the power mm-hmm. over what you're building. And that's exactly how it ends up with, uh, with nanotechnology. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that we're going to build things at the scale that nature builds things. Yeah, and not only that, but particles behave differently at that scale. Right. Um, and so that's why quantum physicists are really interested in this, obviously. Um, from the article, How Nanotechnology Works, there's a good example that says, you know, we can't teleport ourselves to the other side of a wall, but at the nanoscale, an electron can. And this is actually called electron tunneling. Right. So, you know, all of a sudden you do see this really cool, um, these, these sort of things happening and we can apply them in a really meaningful, you know, concrete way. Yeah. Hence nano manufacturing. Right. You get down to a small enough scale, solid things aren't really solid anymore. Right. Uh, You can manipulate uh, uh, materials and by materials, you can manipulate everything from steel to um, medication Mm -hmm. and make it behave a little more like you want it to. And and again, it's it's when uh, when nature builds something, when nature builds a coral reef, it builds it from the uh, and I'm sorry to personify nature here, but uh, but. Uh, when nature builds a coral reef, it builds it from the bottom up, from mm-hmm. the smallest uh, particles up. Right. And and this is about building things from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. And that's why the uh, I say throw out the whole uh, sort of fantastic voyage image of it or the idea of tiny little robots that are essentially big robots shrunk down mm-hmm. because that is a that's more of a like um, top down thinking. Uh, and, uh, and and nanotechnology is is generally more about. Building things at the smallest scale, right? And it has like huge implications for our healthcare. And, right. and we're not talking. This is not sci-fi stuff. I mean, this is stuff that is in the works and around the corner. Yeah, these these are real applications of nanotechnology that that definitely make a difference. Not just not just like oh, I bet you could make a super strong sword or a um, a tower that's as tall uh, that's taller than the atmosphere mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, and, and, and and also before we get into some of the healthcare. Um, Things that we'll be talking about, I just wanted to mention, too, that right now there are more than 800 commercial products that you usually talk about in the article, too. Like This is mm-hmm. this is something that's being used in a, in a widespread way. And, in fact, Adidas uses uh, nanotechnology for their cleats because uh, nanocarbon tubes are actually like 100 times stronger than steel, and it's mm-hmm. a lot lighter. Yeah, and when we use the term nanomanufacturing, the point is that think of it in terms of, say, a weapon, like a, like a, a gun, a musket. There was a time where uh, to create a musket, you would have to uh, have an artisan, basically, that would make it and mm-hmm. make it one by one. But uh, and there's only so much you can do with that. It, it takes a lot more effort, a lot more cost, and a lot more time to say outfit an army that way. But if you can if you can mass produce the weapon, mm-hmm. then it's a lot easier. 
uh, to get that technology out there and actually make a difference with that technology. Right. It, you know, and, uh, and so the idea, uh, with nanomanufacturing is that, uh, nanomanufacturing involves getting the nanotechnology to the point to where we can mass produce its effects and make a real impact with the, uh, with the technology. Right, right. Cause as you point out in the article, none of it really matters unless it's, it, you can produce it on a scale in which everybody has access to it. Right. And, but that's, that seems to be the way that it's going. Yeah, it's like the iPhone, right? Like the, the whole idea of the, the, the amazing thing about the iPhone was that not only is the technology great, but they're able to mass produce it mm-hmm. to the point of, uh, point that everyone could have one. If it took a lot of effort and only Steve Jobs could have one, what's the point? That doesn't make any money, right? That doesn't right. change lives. Right. And by the way, they use nanotechnology too. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, nanomanufacturing is already uh, already out there, and it's just going to increase as time goes on. And we're going to see nanotechnology trickling down to various aspects of our life, especially healthcare. Yes, and let's talk about uh, what that's going to look like because I'm very excited by this. Something called a lab on a chip. Yes. Uh, do you, Do you want to mention the, um, uh, the the article we saw the other day? Oh, right, right, right. Well, actually, yeah, before I talk about chlamydia, because, <laughs> you know, we, we always like to do uh, public service announcements about chlamydia, um, they actually did use this in, in some of their tests for this lab on a chip. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about how, uh, what, what we're talking about here. What does it look like? We're talking about transportable diagnostics via nano devices. So a USB stick sized throwaway device called lab on a chip. Right. Well, because it's, if anyone, anyone out there who's ever had like a blood sample taken, mm-hmm. you know the deal. They take the sample, but then they have to send it off somewhere or take it into right. the back room. And that involves, uh, it involves a laboratory that is staffed, that is air conditioned. The expense and the time really adds up. And that's assuming that the facilities are there, uh, where you can reach them. Right. Uh, if you uh, travel out into the middle of nowhere, suddenly the, you know, the lab's farther away. It becomes a, a more of a pain or even an impossibility to rely on the modern lab technology mm-hmm. uh, that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly in the developing world too, it becomes a huge issue. Yeah. I mean, this is so convenient. You basically take a, a droplet of fluid and you put it in the chip and micro pumps inside it send the fluid to internal vessels containing reagents that extract target disease biomarker molecules. And then that whole device can be sent to a lab for analysis. But but here's here's um, actually a little one up on this. There's a diagnostic app for smartphones that's been developed um, in which you could essentially do the same thing. You have a tiny droplet of a sample and you press it against the phone's touch screen for analysis where the app would work out whether you have food poisoning, strep throat, or flu. Um, and how does it work? I mean, the touch screens are, are highly sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. And so they can, they can store electric charges known as c- capacitance, okay? And because the screens are so sensitive, they can detect very small capacitance changes and could could be these sort of platforms that could actually identify disease markers. But, okay, this is the, the interesting part, or, or I mean, this is all interesting, but here comes the chlamydia, right? Okay. Okay, so watch <laughs> out. Here it comes. Young-Yo Park and Byung-Yong Hwan at the Korea Advanced Institute for Science and Technology took three solutions containing differing concentrations of DNA from the bacteria that causes chlamydia, okay? They were originally going to, going to use crabs, but uh, they were told they would get laughs, <laughs> if they uh, they did that. It, they would get laughs? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, that's nice. Anyway, so they they apply these droplets from each to an iPhone size multi-touch display, and they found that the output from the screen's array of crisscrossed touch sensing electrodes could distinguish between the capacitances caused by each concentration using droplets of only 10 microliters, microliters, which is one thousandth of a milliliter, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they're not able to differentiate between pathogens yet, but differentiating between concentrations is really a first step. So another problem is, uh, who wants their touch screen to be bathed in the chlamydia? Really? Yeah. It, it, it especially changes the whole, you know, you're at the train station and, uh, some, some dude's down on his luck and is like, Hey, can I, can I borrow your phone for a second? Right. Because it's weird enough if he's about to make a, you know, a, a personal call, but if he's going to check for chlamydia with your cell phone, it's, it's a little weird. <laughs> right, right. And then yeah. you don't know. All of a sudden you've got, you know, chlamydia placed up against your skin. Yeah. Uh, you've got chlamydia cheek, really. But the technology could be applied in, in a, uh, to a kind of Star Trek, um, spit scanning device. That would have, uh, have huge, uh, potential in, like I say, not only in the, in the developing world, but pretty much in the field in general. Like anytime yeah. someone is out in the field wanting to test somebody mm-hmm. or anybody, you could have it, uh, geared to particular ailments or, or, or maybe a little more broad, but you could, you could diagnose people in real time. Yeah, in the field. Yeah, exactly. And they are uh, trying to come up with some removable stickers to put over the phone so that you don't, you're not, you know, transmitting little bio samples of chlamydia, ah, for instance. Well, there you go. I mean, they already have those. Even though Steve Jobs didn't like them. Yeah. I was told yeah. when I tried to buy one once. Really? It, yeah, because they were like, Steve Jobs doesn't like those because they imply that the screen is not uh, solid and, and, and can be easily scratched. And he's right. Uh, in my experience, they're kind of a, a con. You know, you end up placing this stupid True. plastic thing over the over the screen, and then all that does is just cause dust to build up underneath there. I mean, I've never managed to, you know, knock on wood to uh, scratch or mess up my uh, screen. So. Yeah, but some, I mean, what we're talking about here is if if you are going to use your cell phone, yes, as if you're going to use it as a lab, you, you should you, have some sort of you need cover. a cell phone condom, yeah, yeah. or something uh, akin to that. Um, but, okay, so that that's one instance. We also have better, longer-lasting drugs, which you sort of inferred about the vitamins. Yeah, there there are a few different ways to to look at this. Uh, one way is, of course, you you change the way that the drug uh, interacts with mm-hmm. the human body. Just consider, for instance, a botulism toxin in Botox treatments. Of course, botulism toxin is uh, a toxin, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, bacteria that's generally bad for the human body, yeah. uh, unless it is administered in small doses for, uh, generally it's like for muscle ailments uh, right. or for just merely cosmetic reasons. But botulism in and of itself is not necessarily something you want to right, come across. Right, right, right. So uh, uh, w- doctors have actually uh, generally inject Botox mm-hmm. um, because uh, uh, in, into a target tissue because it can't pass through skin. Right. Okay. Researchers at the uh, University of Massachusetts Lowell Nano Manufacturing Center, however, uh, are working on creating a topical Botox cream. Their secret is uh, they attach the toxin to a nanoparticle that allows it to hitch a ride through the skin. So you you basically have a, a nanoparticle, this uh, manipulated particle mm-hmm. at the nanoscale that is capable of passing through the skin, as as a lot of materials uh, and uh, and substances are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ends up changing the way that the uh, the botulism toxin reacts with mm-hmm. the body. Right. It, like I say, it hitches a ride. So suddenly, something that could not transfer through the skin mm-hmm. can be rubbed on in a cream form. I wonder if Nicole Kidman knows about this. <laughs> 
I hate to say that. You know, what creeps me out about this is that we have the blood-brain barrier, right? Right. Yeah, okay. that's the thing. There, Our skin is generally the, the whole some things can pass through and some mm-hmm. can't. Like, it generally works in our favor. Um, right. You don't want just anything to come in. It's like a it's a private party inside, and not right. everything is invited. Right. And so, so all of a sudden you've got, you know, botulism or, or the toxin, at least in this concentration, uh, being absorbed by your skin, getting into your bloodstream, right? Mm-hmm. And so the blood-brain barrier is a membrane that protects the brain from potentially harmful chemicals in the bloodstream, right? For making sure that it doesn't cross into your brain. So th- th- this is something that keeps coming up. What is the ability of nanomaterials to cross that barrier? And I don't think that we have a good understanding of this yet. Yeah. Do you end up, um, this is one of the fears of nanotechnology in general, yeah, you end up creating these particles that end up just passing right into our brain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, do you want to do you want to Botox your brain? No, no, no probably <laughs> not, not. Right. Uh, so that's that's a little bit creepy, but it is, you know, it's very interesting in terms of the delivery, right? Right. And a lot of these drugs have really cool delivery systems. Yeah, um, and also real quick, like basic delivery um, uh, physics, uh, if you will, uh, in- include things like solubility, like the ability of a drug to become a part of your blood mm-hmm. to, uh, to break to, down, to break down, you know, in the body. Um, but nanotechnology will allow us to create drug particles at the nanoscale. So the the absorption rate uh, increases and dosage levels decrease. Okay. Because you end up having to to put in less of a of a particular medication. Okay. Uh, because the particles are so much smaller, it ends up uh, being more potent. Being well, it it, it, uh, it you absorb it faster and mm-hmm. more completely. Okay. So it's it's it allows you to to make a smarter version. Of a particular medication. Okay, and this is also where uh, the, the length of time comes in too, right? Like you could take something and it could last for I don't know two weeks, two months, no matter you know, depending on uh, what it is being administered, right? Yeah, researchers at Northwestern University are actually developing uh, drug devices made from nano diamonds, mm-hmm. which uh, prevent medicine from releasing too swiftly into the body. Um, so the idea, this is again coming back to what I mentioned earlier, the idea that you could Im- implant months worth of medication directly into the affected tissue area. Mm-hmm. Like think of it this way. You're going out of town for the weekend. What do you do if you have a dog to feed? Do you just open six cans of Alpo and leave them there on the table for the dog? No, you have somebody come and open one can, mm-hmm. um, you know, of two cans a day for the dog. Cause the dog doesn't know any better. It'll eat all the cans of Alpo and make itself sick. Mm-hmm. You need somebody to administer it. So this is the idea. Instead of uh, instead of having to administer, uh, you know, all the uh, the alpo uh, one bit at a time, it could self-administer. You know, this is interesting too because I was just thinking about birth control and how this is going to affect that. Because mm-hmm. you have birth control pills, like I think like is it seasonal or, or maybe that's the subcutaneous um, birth control that they implant. But in any case, they've got different kinds of birth control pills that you have to take only like you know every four months or so on and so forth. And um, I mean, essentially, you could do the same thing with birth control. You you could have it release over a year period and just take one pill. Right. And and the other really exciting area is, is of course, like I said, being able to target the area of the body. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, that's the, the big thing about the chemo- cells, the particular cells, right? The particular yeah. cells, the particular um, particular organs, even uh-huh. um, chemotherapy uh, tends to be um, such an ordeal because you're generally having to treat the whole body mm-hmm. to treat the area that you want, you know, instead of. Going after the, um, you're, you're treating the population to get to the criminal. Right. So if, if we could, 
if we could, we could apply it to just a particular area mm-hmm. of the body through through these uh, these nano delivery devices, you could have a situation where you could treat you could use the chemotherapy therapy to target the specific cells and not uh, end up you know making the individual sick. Which is great because then you're not wiping out a bunch of healthy cells, right? right? Exactly. Yeah, and that is a, a chief complaint about chemotherapy that. Um that comes up over and over again. And then you have something called super painkillers. Oh, yes. Uh, this And this sounds crazy just because of the substances involved in it. But uh, University of Kentucky College of Medicine, they uh, came up with this concept of uh, taking a morphine molecule, which, of course, is the, uh, the heavy painkiller, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the THC molecule, THC being the intoxicating part of marijuana, and joining them together with a single nanoparticle. And then once, so once in, they, they travel into the body, but once in the body, the linking bit breaks free mm-hmm. and releases the morphine and the THC in equal targeted doses. See, that's, that's insane, right? Because you wonder, I mean, obviously that would be really helpful, uh, for surgical procedures and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to heal from certain things and trying to avoid pain in general. But wow, doesn't that make an interesting cocktail of a, of a drug? Yeah, and it also, I can't help but, but, but think of like drug companies and their various, uh, patents on substances, you mm-hmm. know, because the idea is like you, you take a, you take two, uh, patented medications and when the patent's running out, you just sort of combine them together and then you have a new patent. Mm-hmm. So if you could, I wonder to what extent, um, nano manufacturing allow just minor tweaks in medications just to make sure they continue to keep the, uh, the patent. Well, and also, uh, does this make us rethink legalization of marijuana, at least here in the United States? Probably not, because, you know, again, this is this is a medical use, right? Right. This is which we have medical use marijuana in some places. But still, I mean, now that you're going to you're going to use it in this context, it sort of makes the whole uh, cannabis or the against cannabis argument a little bit silly. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break here from our sponsor. And when we come back. We're going to get into uh, a topic that we've enjoyed talking about in the past, that being um, grow your own organs in bats in your spare room. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of tomorrow, and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. All right, we're back. So, uh, we, uh, we, in the past, we've, uh, we've discussed the idea of do-it-yourself organs, or, or, mm-hmm. or more specifically, the idea that we can print organs, that we can grow them. Yeah. Um, uh, through the use of stem cells. And, and we can, yeah. And we can. We've, we've done this. We've, uh, people are walking around with them. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but how does, how does nanotechnology affect this, right? right? How can it, uh, play a role? Well, let's just think about what we've done so far. I mean, we, we're basically, we've used patients' own stem cells. And, and we know uh, from a previous podcast that fat stem cells are really useful for this because most mm-hmm. of them can adapt to a, a particular type of organ. And we've successfully grown human bladders and even hearts by coaxing stem cells to grow over an organ-shaped scaffold. Yeah. And uh, like one of these is, uh, the ideas here is you take a, use a ghost heart. Mm-hmm. So you take a, an existing human heart, like a donor heart, and then you, uh, you, strip it down with chemicals to like just the collagen and then you set the stem cells on there to grow over this scaffolding. So right. it's kind of like the idea of let's strip the building down to just the, the beams and then build a new exactly the way we need it. Mm-hmm. To 
and the scaffolding is really important, right? Because you have to be able to achieve this shape. Right. That's where nanotechnology comes in. Yeah, you in. can't, it, obviously, you can't just grow a, um, you don't just want to grow a bowl of heart tissue. You need to grow right. that amount of heart tissue in the shape, in the complex, specific shape of a human heart. Right. So it turns out that researchers at Rice University and MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston have developed an organ sculpting technique that uses metal nanoparticles suspended in a magnetic field. Yeah, they were basically they woke up one day and they're like, you know, the idea of growing your own heart um, with stem cells is not quite mind blowing enough for us. Right. I wonder if we can somehow up the ante. And lo and behold, they do because they, they their concept here is you take these these magnetic uh, well they're metal nanoparticles mm-hmm. and they're in a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. And uh, by manipulating the magnetic field, you arrange these particles into a like a floating scaffolding. I know this is such Doug Henning nanotechnology. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I get really excited by this uh-huh. because I just think, yeah, it's like suspending Jello. Yeah, it's like magic. The idea that not to to mystify the technology, uh, but seriously, imagine walking into a room and there, uh, floating in the middle of it, is uh, this pulp of flesh that's growing into the shape of a donor heart. And again, you've got the nanoparticles suspended in a magnetic field. You have these matching up with this three D model of what yes. it should be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you have these these particles behaving in a very different way in this in the at the scale. So that's so cool. Um, there's also reconstructive surgery. Severe burn patients have little viable skin left to graft onto mm-hmm. um, the rest of their body, and so you can you can grow new skin using polymeric material. But sometimes it takes too long, and the patient uh, it can get really bad in, uh, infections. And so one of the newest theories in the field of cell growing is that the smaller the structure the wider the possibility to manipulate the cells again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they have a new laser-based technology called EUV Extreme Ultraviolet that that creates uh, nanostructured polymer surfaces, which really allows you to rapidly grow these uh, new skin for someone. And then there's also no-scar plastic surgery. Scientists in Japan have developed a biodegradable thin film of only about 20 nanometers uh, thick that can replace surgical stitches. Which is really amazing. If you look at the pictures, uh, you can already see like um, that the organism is beginning to heal itself really rapidly, as mm-hmm. opposed to sort of the big Frankenstein stitches that exist on it. So all of this makes me think of another episode that we did uh, a while back. That being the 999 birthday candles episode. Mm-hmm. Which, if you haven't heard it or were confused by the title, it deals with the the science and the emerging science of living to be 999 years old. Yes. Uh, and uh, specifically what Aubrey de Grey has to say about a lot of this. Yeah, Aubrey de Grey being the great bearded one. He does yeah. look like a, a wonderful sort of gnome-like man, uh, gnome-like because of the beard. Or wizard, I think wizard, you know. Wizard? Like okay, I imagine like him and Alan Moore and Gandalf hanging out together with you can tell my, beards. You can tell my crush is lessened because, <laughs> yeah, now I'm calling him a gnome. Um, but gnomes can be cute. Uh, so, but anyway, he, he is, uh, he's sort of a rock star in the bio geriatric field. And a lot of people at first were sort of like, what are you talking about? This isn't possible. But he has made a very good argument that the human body is much like a classic car. And if you can get in there and you can do this sort of maintenance before huge mm-hmm. diseases and, uh, take over, then you can actually extend life. And he is saying that, Right now, the, there is someone who is going to live to be at least 500 years old because of the new technology like what we're talking about today. And it, it's it's probably David Bowie. That's my guess. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he's, man is well he's, he's funding some of this. Um, and he and Nicole Kidman. Uh, but, I mean, we are talking about self-maintenance. And uh, this is from uh, an article uh, from 
HS Plus magazine. It's uh, nanotechnology and surgery, a surgeon's perspective. The surgeon says this trend is already apparent in plastic surgery, talking about all the sorts of nanotechnology that aims at appearance enhancement. Expect this trend to appear in other surgical specialties like orthopedics for enhanced athletes, transplantation of organs from bioprinting or stem cells, new coronary arteries delivered with angioplasty balloons, enhancement drugs with DNA modifications, and many, many others. It seems that surgery will be the vector of our first steps toward transcendence, gradually moving towards less and less invasive procedures until surgery becomes almost obsolete. There so that's, that's what yeah. he's talking about. I mean, he's basically, you know, this idea that Aubrey de Grey has that we can continue to use technology to, to uh, fix ourselves. And, we, we, you know, surgery may become very obsolete. And, you know, when this happens, are we are we still human? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I mean, have that's we enhanced question, ourselves yeah. beyond, uh, uh, you know, at least calling ourselves homo sapiens? Are we or or are we homo sapiens, homo sapien plus? I think maybe that's. The, I like yeah. that. Yeah, I like the plus because you don't have to keep updating it with like you know 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. So there you go. That's uh, nano manufacturing, at least as it relates to healthcare. Uh, we uh, we may come back and explore the the topic a little more and look at the ways nano manufacturing is going to change other aspects. Like of, architecture. Of architecture is pretty amazing. Um, but if you can't wait for that, by all means, you can check out 10 Ways Manufacturing Will Alter Industry. It's actually hosted on the Curiosity website, uh, which uh, HowStuffWorks does a lot of content for that, and we all write uh, a fair amount of content for that uh, that property. Which is owned by Discovery Channel. Yes, yeah. And, it, and it's... Uh, our it, employers. Yes, our employers. And uh, it's a part of that uh, awesome TV show, the uh, Curiosity yep. Project uh, show. So, uh, let, let's call over the robot... Uh, and see if it has any mail for us. Come on, Arnie. All right, so let's uh, let's grab some of this mail. All right, uh, Luke writes in. Luke says, hey, Robert, I've heard you talk about Dune several times on the podcast, that being the novel by Frank Herbert. Uh, so I finally read it. Needless to say, it was amazing. But now I want your opinion on the sequels. I find myself wanting to find out what happens next to get more closure, but I'm also a slow reader and feel somewhat exhausted after Dune. I've seen your reviews and I've sort of gathered what happens in Dune Messiah. Is it a good read regardless of that? Should I read it even though I know I kind of know what will happen? Like you uh, talked about in the podcast about too many choices, the uh, decision fatigue. I'm looking for someone whose opinion I trust to make the decisions for me. Thanks and happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting because I remember in decision the decision fatigue podcast you said it's great to have someone who can vet things for you. So yeah. you are vetting this for him. Yeah. Uh, if I will go just go ahead and say if you were looking for closure in the things you read, proceeding with the Dune series is probably not your best bet um, because, I mean, A, Frank Herbert dies before he can finish it. Uh, and in my opinion, the books become less and less solid as uh, even as they progress in his writing of them. Uh, they become less about characters and more about ideas, and then even the ideas kind of fall flat after a while, again, in my opinion. And then his son ends up uh, finishing the, the series, but there are various voices back and forth about to, to what degree he was able to um, to accomplish his father's vision. So mm. for the most part, I advise people to... Um, to stick with Dune, unless you really, really can't help yourself, and then uh, you know, Dune Messiah is uh, pretty fun, but they it gets less fun as you go. <laughs> so that would be my advice. Uh, there are so many. I suffer from this myself sometimes with books. Like I find an author that I like, mm-hmm. uh, and I will just keep reading them until I'm not reading the things that they made that were good anymore. Because not everybody's like that, where everything that they they wrote is great, right? Uh, or every or every album that they came up with is amazing, or or every film they ever directed or starred in is a masterpiece. So um, 
Uh, but but I often end up doing that. Like I find some uh, uh, an artist that I like and I keep exploring their work uh, when I really should be finding new artists to discover. Actually, I think that that's a, a better appreciation of how they've evolved as an artist. Yeah, but then there's like but there's that. something to be said. Like, what do I at the end of at the end of the life? What what do I want? Do I want to say I have a really good appreciation for how um, Frank Herbert uh, evolved or de-evolved as a as a writer, or do I want to be able to say I read some really good books uh, that had some really amazing ideas in them? I don't know. I don't know, but I see I see some sort of college level course coming out of this. Yeah. <laughs> that's where that's where you could apply it. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I have one more that's maybe a little more uh, sciency. Oh, well, no, this one's fun. Let's go with this. Uh, Nathan writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Julie. I love your podcast, and I only have two things to say. Firstly, I recently listened to your podcast on doppelgangers and wondered if you have heard of the Elvis impersonator theory. The theory is that there are so many Elvis impersonators out there, but only about 50 of them actually look like him. So there are 50 people out there that look exactly like you right now. Just thought that you might find it interesting. My second uh, splurt of information is that I think you guys should definitely do a podcast on synesthesia. I have uh, graphene color synesthesia and would love to hear your opinion on the matter. Huh, very cool. Yeah. A couple of things. One, now I imagine myself as an Elvis personator, like 50 of us, uh-huh. all with capes on. Two, splurt. Love it. Yeah. Okay, and... Uh, and three, we have heard from a lot of people who talk about synesthesia and having different experiences with it. So that, that's definitely one that we could dive deeper into. Yeah, it's weird how sometimes the really obvious ones, like I feel like synesthesia has been on, but when we first started doing Stuff to Blow Your Mind, as Stuff to Blow Your Mind, we mm-hmm. made this enormous list of possible topics. And and some of them were no-brainers. Like synesthesia, we got to do that. That's yeah. a great, mind-blowing topic. Um, and some of those those no-brainers are still on the list. Uh, and we end up uh, sort of going into into weirder areas here and yeah, there. Yeah, our attention and, gets diverted. Yeah, we're easily distracted yeah. by science. So there you have it. Um, if you have something you would like to share with us, be it science-related, be it sci-fi-related, be it just about anything that's uh, interesting and uh, mind-stimulating, you can find us on Facebook as Stuff to Blow the Mind. And uh, you can also find find us on Twitter, where our Twitter handle is Blow the Mind, one word. And you can also send us a line at Blow the Mind at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Tomorrow.